Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. The book of Isaiah is a collection of prophetic sayings and oracles of the prophet Isaiah, who was the dominant prophetic voice in the tumultuous latter half of the 8th century BCE, before the Common Era. Much of Isaiah's message is comparable to the messages of all the major prophets, which includes the indictment of the people, the promise of exile as God's punishment, and most importantly, a message of hope found in the future fulfillment of God's covenant promises, a message of restoration and reconciliation. That is what we find and what we hear in this morning's message, chapter 43 of Isaiah, a word of hope and guidance for a people moving from exile into redemption. Here is Isaiah 43:18 through 21. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, and I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Will we ever rise? Will we ever rise above? fear can we learn to see the need can we share humanity I can see another day come let's sing together broken people we can be made whole we can be made whole we can be made whole as we lay By the early 1990s, the legendary musician Johnny Cash had been almost nearly forgotten by the music industry. The so-called Man in Black had been dropped by his record label, CBS, in 1986 after they had carried him for more than 30 years. Cash was 60 years old at the time. He was suffering from crippling health uh, problems as well as uh, a recent drug relapse. And so Cash was uh, discerning whether he might just retire from music altogether when the guru, deaf master, sage producer Rick Rubin 
reached out to Cash and suggested that they work together. Ruben set up a simple microphone in his home and told Cash to, quote, do whatever feels right for you. And for the very first time in Cash's career, Johnny Cash began playing without a band. No backup singers, no other musicians. He was just a man with a guitar and a microphone. And after several sessions, uh, Ruben then arranged for Cash to have a solo acoustic show at the famous Viper Room in Los Angeles. It was just, again, Cash, his guitar, and a microphone without the band that had accompanied him for something like 40 years. Ruben said he remembered how Cash seemed to be so terrified when he went on stage that night. This is Johnny Cash. He performed like 200 shows a year for something like 40 years. He had played in prisons. But the idea of going on stage alone with just a guitar and a microphone and a handful of songs terrified him. And as Cash nervously played through that first song, Ruben said you could hear a pin drop, just dead silence. But by the end of that show, Cash had launched a whole new career. People who were there that night and saw the show said it was the best show they had ever seen in their lives. Just cash, a guitar, and a microphone. Ruben, in the process, had, had helped cash strip away all the trappings and staging that he had relied on for years. And in that process, he helped cash discover a voice that had been there all along. Sometimes the most important work we can do in life is to figure out what to take away. To discover that there are things that we can live without and to find those things that we can live without so that we can live most fully. It's the process of elimination, of releasing ourselves from the past. Michael Angelo famously said that his David was in the stone clamoring to be freed. Do you, ever feel, do you ever feel like you're clamoring to be freed from the stone and the trappings of your past? Take a moment, just look back on your life for a moment and consider your past. When you think of your past and remember, do you remember it with fondness or with sadness? Nostalgia or regret? Delight or remorse? If you're like me, your answer is probably yes, right? Perhaps it depends on the day or the moment that you happen to be in. Perhaps it depends on the day or moment you happen to be remembering. We humans, we humans do a lot of looking back in life. We remember our past, and often we remember it in exaggerated ways, both the good as well as the bad times. Our past achievements and successes, but especially our past mistakes and defeats and failures tend to appear larger to us in the present than they actually should or even actually were. When they happened at the time, they, they felt big to us. But it's supposed to work this way that the further we get away from them, the smaller they become. 
I was nine years old when I hit my very first Little League home run. And I still remember watching that baseball go into the lights and fly over the fence in left field. I remember rounding the bases and barely touching the ground. I remember coming to home plate and the celebration with my teammates. It was, it was a big deal, and I, in that moment, was a big deal. All of my teammates, they signed that home run ball, and I still have that baseball today, 44 years later. But if I were still walking around today at the age of 53, showing everyone my home run ball and boasting about uh, my illustrious Little League career, you would seriously worry about me. You'd say, isn't it time to get over it? Uh, Shouldn't you stop living in your past? It's called perspective. You take a beginner's class in art, uh, painting or sketching, one of the first things you'll learn is the the theory of perspective. It says that, you know, the greater uh, the distance from an object, the, the smaller it's supposed to appear. In fact, if you get farther enough away from it, that object will eventually reach the vanishing point on the horizon. That's all I really know about art theory. <clears throat> but I do know it's supposed to work that way when we think about our past. I'm talking about perspective. Take a moment and think about your childhood home. Uh, Maybe you had many of them, but just pick a year, like when you were 10. Go back to that home in your mind when you were 10 years old. Didn't it look huge back then? There were probably a million places to hide when you played hide and seek. Uh, It could have been a one-bedroom apartment, but at the time it felt huge. Huge. It was like a palace. Have you ever gone back to one of your old childhood homes 20, 30, 40 years later and you look at it and you go, wow, that's a cracker box. <laughs> so small. Perspective. Why is it that the hurts of our past, the mistakes of our past, why is it that they rarely get smaller with the distance of time and space? Sometimes our perspective, it gets warped. As we talk about forgiveness, I want you to do one thing today. I want you to set aside the big stuff, just for a minute. Set aside the worst thing that's ever happened to you or the worst thing you've ever done. Because when we talk about forgiveness, we are often inclined to go right to the extraordinary stuff, the grievances and mistakes that maybe seem even unforgivable. And when we do that, we allow those extraordinary moments and experiences to overshadow the ordinary. And there are far more ordinary things that we do that, that hurt us or that hurt others. But we say, you know, because we can't forgive that extraordinary thing, how could we forgive anything? It's, I call it the paradox of the, the termite choking on a splinter. We start with the small stuff. Start with what you can forgive. And the nature of human beings is, is to dwell for better, for worse, on our past. That's why our passage from Isaiah for us today is as relevant for us today as it was for those Jews, those exiles who received this somewhere around 2,400 years ago. Isaiah is the voice of God. God says, 
do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. A couple of other great translations of this passage. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Stop dwelling on past events and brooding over times gone by. It's remembering, it's dwelling, brooding. We have a word for that. It's called rumination. You ever ruminate over the past? The word rumination comes from the Latin root rumen, which refers to the first of four chambers in the stomach of ruminant animals. And so to ruminate is sort of like to chew the cod. It is to go over and over and over again and again and again those things of our past. Rumination impedes our ability to get perspective. The more we turn things over in our minds, the bigger those things get. God commands us in this passage today to stop it. Stop dwelling, ruminating over the past. Those exiles who first received this passage, this this oracle, they had made some serious fatal mistakes. They ignored the ways of God. They worshiped other gods and idols. They neglected the poor and the widow and the orphan, the stranger. And over and over again, God sent prophets to them to say, come back to me. Come back to this covenant relationship. But they refused to change. And it was only after the Babylonians came and and sacked Jerusalem and took all the survivors back to Babylon as captives in exile, only then did they finally get the picture. The pain is a powerful catalyst and motivator in life. Defeated and exiled, they feel remorse, guilt, shame. The experience of exile is as much a spiritual experience as it is a real physical, geographical one. Here in this passage, they are bereft of faith. They're plagued by a collective sense of remorse, unworthiness. They couldn't even think about tomorrow. They could never even imagine going home someday. They couldn't envision a better future. All they could see was their past, the mistakes they made. And those mistakes just got bigger and bigger as they dwelled in exile. They had no perspective, just rumination. And then God says, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. And this is where we, like those exiles, meet a God who is a forgetful God. God is a forgetful God. A lot of people, a lot of us, we walk around thinking, you know, God is some divine scorekeeper who walks around with a ledger in one hand and a pen in the other and is constantly recording every mistake we ever make and someday God's going to settle up with us, right? But the God in the Bible is a forgetful God. If we confess our sins, says 1 John, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wrongdoing. This God not only cleanses us, but erases the entire ledger. God forgets about it. God will now not allow our past to define or determine our tomorrows. God doesn't waste time and energy ruminating about the bad times of yesterday. God can't stop thinking about a better 
tomorrow. And there's something else about this passage. Not only does God say, you all don't dwell in the past. In this passage, God is also saying that God doesn't dwell on the past. That every moment, God is finding new ways to respond to us. This passage, the scholars, they tell us this passage echoes um, the experience of the Exodus generations before. The story of the Jews, people of God who leave Egypt and slavery and they end up in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, They were mostly really miserable people. And they mostly made Moses miserable himself. They worshipped idols. They harassed their leader, Moses. They complained to God. Scripture defines them as a stiff-necked people. And Moses kept looking up at God and saying, how much longer do I have to endure these people? And God kept saying, Moses, they need more time out there. They haven't woken up yet. But according to Isaiah in this passage today, God, God's going to go in a different direction this time. God's going to try a new approach. And so God says, I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm, I'm, I'm making a, a road through the desert, river, rivers in the badlands. Uh, this new thing that God is doing is going to be unlike what God did with the people in Exodus. Uh, instead of letting them wander and stumble around, God is this time going to make a road for them. And God is going to put rivers by that road from which they can drink. God is doing a new thing this time. And so Isaiah's message is don't dwell in the past because God doesn't dwell in the past. It's not a call to deny our past. It's not a call or an invitation to to run from it or to deny it or to rationalize it, to pretend it didn't happen. None of those things will give you perspective. This is simply a command to face the past, to size it up honestly and fairly, to name it, And then like God to turn and look toward the future for a better tomorrow. And we call that prospection. It's looking forward, imagining a better tomorrow. This is how God works. God takes all the collective experiences of our past and says, okay, this is who you are. Now who are you going to be? God doesn't remember the way we remember. Forgive and forget is a common, often uh, misassociated uh, phrase. We think it comes from Scripture, but it doesn't. It's actually a line from King Lear's, uh, from Shakespeare. But strangely, it's what God does, actually. God forgives and forgets. God always is looking at tomorrow, not yesterday. Does this mean we're supposed to forget as well? If you're like me, you can come up with all kinds of reasons why we should never forget what happened. We might get hurt again. By forgetting it, we might justify it or rationalize it or, um, you know, uh, uh, avoid justice. By, By forgetting, we might just perpetuate the injustice. Somebody else might also get hurt. All I know is that Michelangelo's David clamored to be free from the stone. 
All I know is that we live by letting go. We gain life through elimination. And so if forgetting for you is not possible, then try simply accentuating tomorrow and minimizing yesterday. How do we do this? We make a conscious choice to stop ruminating about the past. That requires us to go back to the experience of the hurt, whether we did it or whether it was done to us, whatever it was. In some cases, to go back to that point in time will require us to bring help with us, a friend, a spouse, a therapist, pastor. We have to go back to where it happened, whatever it was, and like returning to that home that we lived in when we were 10 years old, we have to size up the memory. We have to figure out if it was really as big then as it appears to us to be today. And maybe it was big. Maybe it was awful. If so, that means you have more work to do. And you may need more people to do it with. And you may need more time to do it. But maybe it was actually smaller than you're now remembering it. Chances are, with the gift of perspective, it was smaller than you remember it today. Or at least it could be if you remember it faithfully. And in that moment, that's when you have a choice to make. Uh, We can decide if we will stay in that little house a little longer and dwell some more and ruminate. That is an option. You can do that. But it will mean that you'll be confined a little longer, more entrapment. Some of us will choose to move back in that little house and and relive the hurt and memory a little longer. We can walk around, we can rearrange the furniture and see if it's livable for a while, but that little unhappy house is not a great place to live. This is what the exiles experience in our passage, captivity and confinement. And God says, stop it. Wake up. This place is too small for you. There's a bigger place. I've created it for you. Let's go. The most important work we can do in life is figure out what to take away and what to leave behind. It's the the process of elimination. We stop ruminating about the past so we can get perspective. Then we decide that we don't want to live there anymore. And then we get prospective by asking ourselves, where do we want to live now? In Rwanda, after the 1994 genocide of the Tutsi people by the Hutu army, the common greeting on the streets among survivors back then was this word, it means, did you wake? It became a common way that people would greet each other on the streets. And it's Isaiah's question, did you wake? When we finally wake, we must decide what to do with our past. Will it be one thing or will it be everything? When we finally awake, we decide what to do with the person who has wronged us. Will I release this relationship or will I renew it? When we're awake, we will know exactly what we need to move forward. Prospection. Bruce Modal is a, a, a Lutheran pastor and author. He wrote a book about 
some experiences in ministry, and one of those was a man who would come into his church and sit in the back every Sunday, would never introduce himself. He'd leave before the closing hymn. One day, this man stayed around, introduced himself to the pastor, Madal, as Don. His name was just Don, no last name. Don had walked out on his wife of more than 20 years. In the process, he walked out on two of his daughters, one of whom was in high school, the other was late in her college years. He had walked out on them too. And his older daughter was planning her wedding. And so she called him and she asked her father to walk her down the aisle. She wanted him at the wedding. She wanted him back in her life. And so that's what brought him to Modal's church. He couldn't go back to his old church. It was too much shame. But he established this relationship with Modal. Picturing the wedding in that church where he and his family had worshipped for so many years, remembering all the words and the songs, reminded him of the man he had always hoped to be. And he looked at himself and he was disgusted. His daughter, that call for him to be in her wedding, struck up then a conversation with his wife. And in one of those conversations, his wife said to him, Come home, Don. Just come home. And he said the effect that that had on him, his daughter's kindness, his wife's invitation, forced him to look at the kind of man he had become. And he came to Madal and said, what shall I do now? And Madal led him to a baptismal font. And said, are you ready to make your confession? He said, I am. And they, they prayed Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Wash me and cleanse me from my sin. And Madal laid hands on him and forgave him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Don looked at the pastor, Madal, and said, what shall I do now? And Madal said, go home. Your wife has called you home. She's turned your shame into rejoicing. And Madal went home. The exiles finally went home too. If you're in exile, you can, you can come home too. Our takeaways for today, stop dwelling on past events and brooding over times gone by. Wake up, size it up, and decide what you can live without. God forgets the past, but always remembers the way home. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.